Let me ask you, do you consider yourself a superstitious person? You may not say I'm not superstitious, I'm just a little stitious, and I think we would understand that, right? Let me just ask you, how many of you this week found yourself knocking on wood? Anybody? Any knock on woods? A few of you guys? You guys are like, I don't know where this is going, you know, maybe? How many of you this week avoided a ladder? I mean, you might not even have seen a ladder, but maybe you avoided walking under a ladder this week, right? Or, 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 or maybe for, for you, you, you were afraid when it rained and snowed the other day to open your umbrella inside or in the car before you got out, right? Because what, what do those things do? They bring you bad luck. You know, superstitions are really funny. They've been around forever, and, and you know, they're very cultural. In, in Lithuania... It's actually uh, believed that if you whistle indoors, you're, uh, i got a picture of a guy whistling here for you. If you whistle indoors, it invites evil spirits into your home. So no more Andy Griffith, guys. I know it's like perpetually stuck forever in your brain, but yeah, no more whistling. In France, they believe that if you step in dog poop with your left foot, it's actually good luck. So I don't know about you guys, I don't consider that to be good luck. But according to our friends in France, it is good luck. I mean, there's all kinds of superstitions. You can look at them. In Japan, it's bad luck to walk by a graveyard with your thumbs out. So you, I don't know. How does that happen? Anyways. But really, sports are where superstitions really take hold. A couple of our favorite Colorado Rockies, um, I bet you none of you have this guy's jersey. You guys remember Jason Giambi? I think he played here for like four games. You have his jersey? Of course he does, right? But Jason Giambi, when he went on a slump, he wore a gold, he wore a gold thong. Seriously, that's how he broke his slump. So I don't know. That one doesn't seem very good to me. But how about Larry Walker? Larry Walker, he wore number 33. Everything had to be threes. He set his alarm clock to whatever, 33, 533. He, he, everything had to do with three. His clock was off by three minutes. When he signed a contract, he signed a contract for $3,333,333.33, right? He actually got married on November 3rd at what time, guys? 3.33. So there are just these superstitions, and they can be pretty funny, like Jason Giambi. Like, don't go using that idea, right? Jason Giambi, but... I think when we find that we are falling into superstition, it's proof that there's a deeper dilemma going on. And that dilemma is this, that it's there's this deeper belief that we think we need to do certain things to experience good things in return. Or on the flip side, it's the fear that if we don't do certain things, bad luck or bad things are going to happen to us. And if you've ever been there, if you've ever experienced that, it almost feels like you're living a life trying to check a box or walking on eggshells. And when we do that, guys, listen up. What, what happens is we end up missing the beautiful reality that God created us to live in, to walk in, and to enjoy. So today we're going to continue our series in, in, the book of, in, in a series called Miracles. And we're looking at the, the miracles that the Apostle John tells us in the book of John. And John uses these miracles like road signs teaching us something about who Jesus is and what he came to do. And there's seven miracles in John, and we're going to pick five and, and walk through those. And today we're going to meet a man who, who uh, the Bible tells us is an invalid or, or is lame. And, and he's been sitting by a pool outside of Jerusalem. 
And if you're a superstitious person, you're probably going to identify with this guy because he was very superstitious. And in the book of John, we're going to see that there is this exchange between Jesus and this man by the pool of Bethesda where Jesus teaches us something about luck and superstition and about the things that we have to do or we think we have to do in life to get right with God. And so I think if you're a superstitious person, I think this is really going to open some doors for you and help reveal some amazing truths. So if you have your Bible, let's look at this exchange that Jesus has with this man by the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5. If you're new to your Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 5. Here's what John writes. He says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And so if you were with us last week, we kicked off this series by talking about Jesus turning water into wine. The second miracle in John, Jesus actually heals a, a, a son of an official. It's 20 miles away. So Jesus shows he has power to heal somebody 20 miles away in John chapter 4. And then we're brought into this in John chapter 5 where Jesus now goes into Jerusalem and by the sheep gate where there's a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda or Bethsaida, uh, but we're going to call it Bethesda today, which has five, a five-roofed colonnade. And it says that in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And then in verse, six, verse 5 it says that one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time, and he said to him, Do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and why I am going another steps down before me. So let me give you a little backstory on what's going on here. Here's a picture of the pool of Bethesda. And so this was a pool that was just right outside of Jerusalem. And back, back in those days, these pools were often hot spring-fed, and they would be, this water would be used for the temple. And so there was a, a five-column colonnade, which is basically a little shady area that many of the people who were sick or, or lame or blind or, had, or, or deaf would, would sit around in that shade. And so imagine the sight. You know, the healthcare system wasn't great in first century Israel. And so this was uh, where people would go, and there was a superstition around this. The superstition was that every time the waters bubbled, that that was an angel stirring the water. And the first person to get down into the water would experience healing. So it'd be a lot like back in the day when hot springs were, you know, kind of taken off in the early 1900s or late 1800s, and they thought there were healing properties to these hot springs. The same kind of idea. But people thought that basically it was an angel stirring them up. It was probably just a bubble from when they released water down the aquifer into the temple, or maybe there was a, a spring that was bubbling up underneath it. But they didn't understand the science of it in those days. They just said, that must be an angel. I got to get down there and get healed. So there's a superstition. And so, so Jesus walks up to this man, and he, he sees that, that this man is basically waiting. He's been there for He's been an invalid, which we don't know. Maybe he's got a paralyzed leg or, you know, he has trouble walking. But, but he's been an invalid for 38 years. For 38 years, he's been living a, a life of lameness, right? Like he just can't enjoy to do the things that other people want to do. And so Jesus walks up to him, and he asks him an interesting question. He says, do you want to be healed? And what did the man say? The man was like, well, I just can't get down to the water." Nobody ever carries me down. And maybe he thought Jesus was inviting him, like, hey, hop on, dude. Like, piggyback, you know, let's go. And, and, and instead, notice what Jesus says to him. 
Look at this. Jesus says this in verse 8. Jesus says, get up. Take up your bed and walk. Now, he wasn't carrying around like a queen-size mattress, right? Like, this was probably made of straw. It rolled up. It was just a little mat, like a little cot that he would have been laying on, and that was what he would have slept on. So Jesus basically says, do you want to be healed? And the guy's like, I can't get down to the water. And Jesus says, well, just pick up your mat, stand up, and walk. And notice what happens. Verse 9, and at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. Okay, so what's Jesus teaching us here? What's, what's going on with this? Well, notice there's a couple of things I think jump out to us. The first one is this. If you take a note, Jesus reveals that superstition and religious folklore are terrible substitutes for faith. I mean, this man, we don't know how long this guy's been sitting here, but we know that there's a lot of people sitting under this colonnade waiting for the waters to bubble. And they're all believing that if they can get there in time, that they're going to be healed. And so there's a superstition around this. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I think if we look at our culture, man, there's a lot of superstitions. And Jesus is teaching us 2,000 years ago that superstition and folklore, they're terrible excuses. There's terrible substitutes for faith. How many of you guys have been to Sedona? A few of you guys? Yeah, beautiful, right? Here's a picture of Hallie two years ago. We went to Sedona. She's wearing a shirt that says Sedona Princess, right? <laughs> so we're in Sedona. We're hiking. We're hanging out with uh, Troy and Natalie. We're doing some mountain biking, having a great time. Um, and, but what I started to notice is all these stores around town that sell crystals, and there are these certain places that have vortexes. Now, these vortexes are supposedly cracks that release energy. And so you can go to one of these vortexes, and you can experience, like, this intense kind of energy. It brings you to, you start to feel alive, like this swirling sense of healing can take place around you. And so we drove up to the airport Mesa, where uh, supposedly there's one of these vortexes. And I got to be honest, I didn't feel anything, seriously. But maybe you've been there and you have. But I don't know what's going on, right? We can talk about that a different time. But, but we know that there is a belief around these vortexes that there is some kind of healing that can take place. It's a superstition, right? It, it, this is this idea that we can experience something somewhere else. Now, it, it may sound silly for us, but religious folklore has been around forever. In Tibetan Buddhist culture, it's believed that you shouldn't start a journey on a Saturday so what people do is they pack their bag, they drop it at a friend's house, and then they, they get up and they go and pick up their bag and they leave town, right? They got around the superstition of starting a journey on a Saturday. Uh, another one of these is in Hindu culture, they believe that the goddess Lakshmi visits homes in the evenings, so you can't sweep your floor in the evenings at home. So if you spill your fruity pebbles, you've got to leave them to the next day, right? Or hopefully the dog will eat them, which is what usually happens in my house. But there's a superstition around these things, right? There's these superstitions that, that surround these ideas. And you see this within Christian circles. Did you know, what do you say when somebody sneezes? What's the German for that? Gesundheit. You know what this came from? So it was believed, at, at, you know, several hundred years ago that when you sneezed, the, the devil would get in. So as you sneezed, the devil could sneak in. So you said, Gesundheit, or God bless you. To keep the devil, to guard you from the evil spirit that would enter your body when you sneezed. So next time somebody says, God bless you, just say, don't worry, there's no evil spirits in here. Right? So there's all of these superstitions that exist. Go back and look up how infant baptism began. There's superstitions that exist around these things. And I don't know what it is. 
and, and you guys, to, to you, this might be completely foreign, but to many of us, there, there seems to be this draw towards superstition. There seems to be this, this idea like, oh, I said something I don't want to come true, so I'm going to knock on wood just in case. Right? Or, you know, if you're, you guys ever been to a baseball game and the pitcher's throwing a no-hitter and the baseball team's completely sitting on the other side of the dugout, and you, if you're in the crowd, you cannot mention that it's a no-hitter because if you do, your friend's going to punch you, right? Why? Because you're going to jinx them. There's all of these superstitions that exist. Why do we really kind of engage in these things? Well, I think I have a theory on this. It's not really my theory. According to the International Journal of Psychology and Behavioral Science, the reason we are drawn to superstition is it gives us a false sense of having control over conditions. Isn't that why we knock on wood or walk under a ladder? Because don't we have this desire to want to control the circumstances around us? And so superstitions grab us because we think, well, if I can just avoid bad luck, then man, Things are going to be good for me. Things are going to work out for me. You and I have this innate desire inside of us to control our situations. And what Jesus is telling us here is powerful. Because Jesus is saying, when we look at superstition and we look at folklore as reasons to try to control our situations, we're buying into a false illusion. Because those things don't actually control reality. Those are just figments of our imagination that we have allowed a piece of control. So it's not about hoping the universe is listening. It's not about finding a vortex or a crystal necklace. It's not about a lucky rabbit's foot or a buckeye in your pocket. What Jesus says, rather, it's about giving yourself over to the one who does control creation in his hands. I mean, I want you to think about what was Jesus' message? He says, if you want to follow me, you need to... Deny yourself. And you need to pick up your cross and you need to follow me. If you want to be great, you need to put yourself, what church? Last. If you want to be first, you need to be the servant of others. Jesus' message is so countercultural. It's so uh, opposite of what our culture believes and what, what the world's logic thinks. But what Jesus', is, what Jesus is teaching does say is it's not about luck, it's not about superstition, it's not about folklore. It's about trusting the one who holds the world in his hands. And so Jesus is coming in and he heals this man who's been waiting for this superstition to take place because he's saying, when you trust me and give control to me, that's when and only when you actually find freedom. So Jesus looked at this guy and said, you want to be healed? And he said, nobody will take me down to the water. He says, hey man, just pick up your mat, get up and go home. See, the guy didn't have to do anything other than just believe. Like, you could have waited, and Jesus, he, hey, Jesus, when are you going to pick me up, man? No, no, you stand up. Like, there's this concept that Jesus is teaching us. It's this. He's calling us to give up control and believe. Like, this man didn't need to get to the water. He just needed to hear what Jesus said and believe it. Jesus had already done everything else. He just stood up and believed. And by doing this, he says, stop believing in all this other junk and believe in me, 100% belief in me. Forefront, I want you to think about what in your life right now are you superstitious about? What in you are you kind of leaning towards hoping for good luck, hoping the universe is listening, hoping that, that if you do it right, God might bless you? Where God is just saying right now, just give it over. Just give it to me and trust me with everything you have. 
So, so notice this. We, we, we see that there is this healing that takes place, but there's, a, there's a, a detail you can't miss. Look at the end of verse 9. What day did Jesus heal this man? Saturday. What is it? The Sabbath. This was a big deal. And Jesus didn't just happen to stumble upon this dude on a Saturday, right? Like Jesus had a plan to go to Cafe Olay on the way to the pool on Saturday because this was the day he was going to heal this guy. This was all his plan. One of the things I think we see here, and it's written between the lines, but Jesus wants us to, re- to understand it, is that there, there's this tendency that we have, whether it's superstition or, for, or, or folklore. I can't say that word so hard. You guys say it. Folklore. Isn't it hard? It's super hard to say. So there's this belief that like we easily fall into superstition, or some of us, we veer towards rule keeping. We, we begin to think, well, if I can just keep these rules, if I can just do enough of these good things, then good things are going to go my way. If I can just do enough, then God's going to show me his favor. And again, it's, it's this idea that, guys, this, this is a false sense of control here. And you don't have to look far into world religions to see that this is everywhere. I mean, if you look at Islam, what, what do Muslims adhere to? The five pillars of Islam. If you look at Hinduism, in Hindu, they hold to the five principles of Dharma. In Buddhism, they hold to the five precepts of Buddhism. And you even see this in the Catholic Church. They hold to the five sacraments of Catholicism. And this idea is if you keep these, these rules, if you keep these things, then you end up earning God's favor, or you put yourself in position to be in a good place to earn God's favor if he wants to give it to you. Why is it always five, by the way, right? Like, isn't it, isn't it weird it's always five? When God gave man the Ten Commandments, he gave him ten. Hopefully, we can recognize that we can't keep ten. Maybe we're naive enough that we can keep five rules. We can't keep ten. But for whatever reason, it's five. But I think one of these ideas that if we keep these five things, we'll earn favor with God and we'll make ourselves right. And maybe God will bless us because of it. The Jews were terrible about this. And this is why Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath, because he wants to teach us a lesson. In Jewish tradition, especially in first century Jewish tradition, when Jesus was alive, they took the Mosaic law that God gave them, the Ten Commandments that God gave them to guide relationships and guide the relationship with God and each other, to show them that they needed God in their life because they couldn't keep them all on their own. They took those and they built rules and rules and rules around them. So they took uh, something good like the Sabbath. The Sabbath, was, or, or as they called it, the Shabbat. Somebody say Shabbat. Shabbat. It's kind of fun to say, right? Shabbat. So they took the, the Sabbath, which was one of the Ten Commandments, the longest of the ten, and it was meant to give people rest. The Sabbath we see in Genesis chapter 2, we see in Exodus chapter 20, that the Sabbath was designed to give people rest. Work six days, work hard for six days, take a day off. What they did was they took something meant to be good and they stripped it of their goodness by wrapping 39 rules around it. That's a lot of rules. And so on the Sabbath, you really could not do anything because it was considered work. One of the things about the Sabbath was you couldn't make a fire because fire was work. And so you'd have to fill your oil lantern on Friday morning so that Friday night at sundown to Saturday at sundown, you had oil in your lamp. If you guys have any Jewish friends, ask them about this. Ask them, do they turn their lights on on Friday and leave them on the rest of the weekend? Because it's work to even flip a light on. So yeah, talk to a Jewish friend of yours. Ask if they do that. Maybe they don't, but that was kind of the idea behind it. There's all these rules on the Sabbath to not 
work. So Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath because he wants to teach us the truth, and he also wants to pick, pick a fight a little bit too. And so notice this. Jesus is teaching us this, that we need to recognize that our hearts too easily drift towards rule-keeping. Whether it's like we talked about earlier with the Catholic Church or whether it's what we see that happened with the Jews here, it's so easy to see something good and build a bunch of rules around it to keep it good. But when we do that, we strip its goodness away. And this is what has happened with the Sabbath. So notice this. Verse 10. So the Jews, they see this man. By the way, this dude has been in a, he's been living the lame life for 38 years, and now he's walking with his mat. Well, they know he's one of the lame guys, and so they're like, dude, why are you carrying your mat? They probably didn't say dude. They were probably like, hey, why are you carrying your mat? And notice what he says to, to, to Jesus. They say, or notice what he says. They say to him, it is, it is the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. Carrying your mat, by the way, was work, so you couldn't do it on the Sabbath. And so they're, they're pressing him. Why are you working right now? Dude, did you notice I couldn't even walk like an hour ago? And now you're hammering me for carrying my mat? Notice what he says. He says, the man who healed me, the man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they said, well, who is the man who said this to you? In verse 13, now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in this place. And so the, the Pharisees are kind of salty that this guy is carrying his mat, and they're, they're, they're pressing him. Well, who was it that healed you? And so here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is pushing at, he's pushing the pin at the situation because he wants it to pop. Jesus heals seven times on the Sabbath. So out of 37 to 40 times that Jesus did a miracle, seven of them happened on the Sabbath. And the reason is he wanted to show them that their system was messed up, that it wasn't about rule keeping, it was about relationships. And the best way to do this was to heal on the Sabbath. Why? Because healing is work. Did you know? And this is still true today for Orthodox practicing Jews, that it is illegal, it is unlawful, I should say, for a doctor or a dentist to heal somebody on the Sabbath unless it's a life-threatening injury. So like if you break your leg falling into a hole, good luck, take some ibuprofen. We'll see you at nine on Monday morning, right? Like if you got a toothache that hurts really bad, like sorry, like you know, put some vinegar on it, right? Good luck. Like, there was no way to actually get healed unless it was a life-threatening injury because it was work. And so by Jesus healing on the Sabbath, he's picking the one thing that shows how ridiculous the rules were. He's giving somebody life. And so Jesus heals on the Sabbath, and, he, and they're mad, and it illustrates how hard their hearts were. Rather than praising God for a man who had been an invalid for 38 years, now they're giving him a hard time because he was walking, and they missed the miracle because they were too focused on keeping rules. Let me ask you guys. Are you missing what God's doing in your life because you're too focused on keeping a rule or doing things a certain way? or making sure you check the box. And you do that because you think that if you do all these things, God's going to love you. But in the end, you end up missing what God's doing in your life. Poor friend, if there's one thing you take away today, it's this. is that God loves you the same on your good days as he does on your bad days. That God loves you the exact same when, it's, when you're nailing it and you're doing great. And every conversation's positive, 
and you read your Bible and you prayed and you read an extra couple chapters even. It was such a good morning. And your coffee was hot and that espresso was delicious and you're just feeling good and you got a full tank of gas and every green light was hitting for you on the way to school. And God loves you the exact same as the day when you cut somebody off in traffic and the coffee was terrible and you made a bad decision at work and you yelled at your roommate and you forgot to read your Bible and you haven't prayed in a week. God loves you the exact same. This is the beautiful reality that we have in our Heavenly Father. If you're parents, you guys understand this, right? Like, if, if you're a parent, you love your kids no matter if their room is a disaster, which it typically is, right? Or if they are keeping that thing nice and tidy. And by the way, parents, if you have kids, it's always going to be a mess. You guys can take a breath, right? Give yourself a break. If you don't have kids yet, remember, it's going to be a disaster. I'll just let you guys know. So, this is though, like you love your kids, whether they're giving you handfuls of, of you know, your favorite Halloween candy, Reese's Pieces, or if they're eating Reese's Pieces until they're sick, right? You're going to love them the same on their good days as on their bad days, and that's the same idea that God has for us. But yet, for some reason, we think that our Heavenly Father is different. For some reason, we might think about our kids like that, but we think that God, our relationship with him is different. Like, why is that? Like, why do we think that we need to keep the rules? That if we don't read our Bibles and pray and tell somebody about Jesus and invite somebody to church and, you know, do all these things, that it's not a good day, that God's not going to love us. So then when we fall out of rhythm or we make a mistake, we end up hump, hump, throwing shame and guilt all over ourselves. And God says, that's not the purpose. That's not what this is about. This is about a relationship. It's not about rule keeping. See, one of the problems our culture has is we have fallen into this trap of believing in this thing called moralistic, moralistic therapeutic deism. Somebody say that. Moralistic, moralistic. Therapeutic, therapeutic deism. deism. It's the idea that if I do enough good, more good than bad, then God's going to love me. God's going to give me favor and bless me, and someday God's going to take me to heaven. And it, according to what Jesus says in the Bible, is completely wrong. Because it's not about how good we can be, because we can't be good enough on our own. This is why we need God's grace. That's why we have to understand we are saved by God's grace through faith. Your faith is never going to be strong enough or good enough to get you to God on your own. You need God's grace coming into your life because of, because of how good and how merciful and how loving he is. And it's through our faith that he gives us grace and saves us. And that means that he loves us the exact same on the days we're nailing it as he does on the days where we're batting zero and we're not doing good at all. And so this is the truth. This is why we have to understand grace. We have to understand that in Jesus we can live in freedom through the relationship that we have in Christ and because of what he's done for us through our faith. It's not because of our good deeds or how good we've been because it's our faith in Christ alone. So notice what happens. So Jesus, Jesus needs to try to explain this to this man. So in verse 14, Jesus goes and finds him. And notice what happens. In verse 14, Jesus finds him. He's like, hey, you're healed. Everything looks good on the outside. He says this, see you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Isn't that weird? Like, isn't that a weird thing that Jesus would say to him? Like, hey, you're healed now physically, so don't sin anymore, so nothing worse happens. I'm sure the dude's like, what could be worse than living as an invalid for 38 years? And Jesus says, there's many things that can be worse 
separation from your heavenly father in hell and eternity is the one you need to watch out for. So pay attention to how you live. So what Jesus is trying to show him is this, that, that taking care of the, of the outside is important, but there's something that needs to happen on the inside. See, I think our culture, don't, don't we spend so much time focusing on the outside, right? How we look, how we feel, how we dress, like, you know, what other people say about us. And so we, we think all these things about how we look on the outside, which is important about taking care of yourself. But what if you went out and bought a brand new Audi and you never changed the oil? What's going to happen? Well, it's an Audi. It might be fine, right? But most cars, over time, they're going to break down. If you don't focus on what's the, on the inside, it doesn't matter how good the outside looks. And that's why Jesus says to these Pharisees, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're dead. And so Jesus says to this man, look, I want you to focus on the inside, on your spiritual health. Notice this question he asked Jesus at the, Jesus asked him at the very beginning. Do you remember? The guy's laying there on his mat, and Jesus walks up to him, and what does he say? Hey, do you want to be healed? Why would Jesus ask that question? I mean, there's a chance that the man really didn't. There's a chance that this man had something going on in his life. And so since he was lame, maybe that was his excuse. Maybe he drank all the time. Maybe he stole money. Maybe he liked to live on a handout. Maybe he was okay living that life. I mean, if you look at just the, our, our economy, there is a natural rate of unemployment. Do you guys know about this? There is a natural rate of, of un, unemployment. Three to three and a half percent of the population just doesn't want to work. And so when unemployment's under 3.5%, that means that a lot of people are working that don't want to work. And so maybe this man was like that. Maybe this man just didn't want to work. And, and so Jesus looks at him, whatever is going on in his life, whatever hidden sin he had, whatever challenge he had, Jesus looked at him and he said, look, things have changed on the outside, but things need to change on the inside too. And I think here's the takeaway we can have is that God cares about your physical health, but your spiritual health is what's is most important. Does God want you to be healthy? Yes. Does God want you to, to feel good? Yes. Does God want you to live a, a, a long life? You can tell people about Jesus and invite them into the kingdom of heaven? Yes. But does God care more about your heart and your spiritual health than anything else? 100%. He absolutely does. You know, they say that if you're not getting good REM sleep, REM sleep, then it's going to lead to all kinds of conditions in your, in your health. If you're not getting good sleep, then you're going to find yourself uh, linked to obesity or type 2 diabetes or dementia, depression, heart disease, or cancer. So yes, physically, you need to get some sleep. But how are you getting REM rest for your soul? How are you getting the spiritual health and nourishment that you need? Because it's so important. So we, we, we see an indication that this man needed more than physical healing because notice what happens. So Jesus tells him, hey, you need to go work on your, your spiritual self. And notice what he does. He runs immediately and goes and tells the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. It says this in verse 15. The, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And notice what Jesus says to him in verse 17. But Jesus says this. This is so good. He says, but Jesus answered them. He says, my father is working until now, and I am working. The Jews are like, wait, 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 why are you doing all this on the, on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, because I'm working. See, here's what Jesus is saying, guys. He's saying this. 
that what Jesus offers is the solution to fix what is broken. That we, we can't fix it through rule keeping. We're not going to fix it through superstition. We're not going to fix it through religious folklore and action. The only thing that's going to fix what is broken in here is Jesus. And that's what he came to do. Best I can tell is that of Jesus' 37-ish miracles, 15, 14 of them were healing people. He healed the blind. He healed the people who had leprosy. He healed the dude with the withered hand. He helped the paralyzed walk. He heals this lame man right here. And you might think, wow, there was a lot of people who needed healing back in those days. The CDC estimates that 26% of U.S. adults have some type of disability. The U.N. estimates that 15% of people worldwide have disabilities. And their estimation is that those numbers keep growing. What, what does that tell us? It shows us that we live in a world that's broken by sin, and it's not getting better. People aren't becoming healthier. What does that mean for us? See, I think, I think if I could bring this down to, to one final thought is this. Have you ever wondered, ever asked yourself the question, can we make this world better? And how do we do it? And so many times the answer is education, or it's better technology, or it's science. And if we can just do better at these things, if we can get better politicians in office, right? You guys have an opportunity this week. If you have, can we just elect better leaders? If we can just get different government systems, if we can just come up with, let's just raise everybody's level of education, then things will get better. And I agree, all those things are good. All those things are good. But the question is, can it really? Because here we are in 2022, and we live in a world where, for the most part, government systems are better. And we got better medicine than we've ever had. And we got better technology than we ever had. And we have more college graduates than we've ever seen. And we got government programs that take care of people who don't have anything. And yet more people are born disabled every year than they ever were before. And there's still poverty. And there's still brokenness. And there's still wars. So can we get better on our own? I think what Jesus is teaching us through this miracle is this, that could our problem actually be that we live with a desire to control everything around us? And that's causing us to miss, miss the fact that Jesus says, I am the solution to fix what is broken. And that if you actually give yourself fully over to me, it's then and only then that I will begin to repair and heal everything from the inside out. And it's not going to be perfect, but it's going to get better and better and better until one day Jesus comes and makes all things right again. See, I think if you boil this down to one idea, what Jesus is saying is it's not about what you do. It's about who you know. And when you know Jesus, the King of kings, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who stepped out of heaven for you because he loved you and came down to this earth and taught us how to live in the kingdom of God and went to the cross and gave his life for us when he didn't have to so that he could rise from the grave to give us life when we don't deserve it, he says that is the path to life because that is the best thing for you. But you have to make the decision. Am I going to give him the control? And am I going to give up what I want and give it to him and give him 100%? Theologian Andrew Murray says this, and I'll close with this. 
God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. And I believe, guys, as a church, as a community, as people, if we could become people who fully give ourselves over to Jesus 100%, God will fix the cracks and God will begin to repair what is broken. And God will help us to see that it's not about rules and it's not about superstition, but it's about a relationship with him every single time. I want to do something kind of different right now as we close, as the, as the worship team begins to play. I want to take a second, and I just want to pause. And I want to say, here in this room today, I think there's people all over the place. Some of you have never made the decision to surrender your life to Jesus. And this would be the first time that you would say, Jesus, I realize that I can't do this on my own. Jesus, I realize that I can't be good enough on my own. Jesus, I realize that rule keeping and superstition don't work. And if that's you, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. There's other people here who you've said yes to Jesus, but you keep trying to hold on to control. You keep gripping it and trying to take the reins back. And Jesus is saying, give them to me. And I think there's others here who've been doing a pretty good job of giving it over to Jesus. But I think there's just the reminder that we need to daily, hourly, sometimes moment by moment, say, Jesus, here you go. I keep trying to pick it back up, but that just causes more messiness, Jesus. I want to give it back to you. I want you to consider where you find yourself today. And then here in a moment, I want us to, to, to recite a prayer of surrender together. Because we're never going to truly be the people God created us to be until we learn to surrender ourselves to him. And not just 10% or 20%, 100%. And that's what Jesus wants for you. And that might mean that you have to remind yourself of this every single day or every single minute. But know that God's going to use this to change you from the inside out. So I just want to take a second, and while the band begins to play, I just want to close our eyes and bow our heads and just I want us to ask God to reveal to our hearts, have we fully surrendered ourselves to him? And if not, let's do it right now. And then here in a moment, we'll close by reading a prayer together. Forefront, if you would turn your eyes to the screen. If you're watching from home, um, read this with us. Wherever you're at, in your living room or kitchen, join us as we read this. And let's just read this all together at the same time. And let's ask God to make this our prayer. And so wherever you find yourself this week, make this your prayer. Pray it in the morning. Pray it after work. Pray before you go to bed. Remind yourself. We need to surrender ourselves because Jesus has the power to fix everything that is broken. So would you guys recite this with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I know Jesus is calling me, yet I realize I've let the temptation of control keep me from responding to his Forgive me for trying to do things on my own when I know your ways are best. I surrender to Jesus today. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to draw me back to you in those times when I've relied on my own strength. 
Thank you for reminding me that if I want to follow Jesus, I need to release my own way. I have felt your Holy Spirit tugging at my heart, so I am laying down my own plans, desires, and goals. I replace those right now with total surrender to your will. Your will be done in my life, Lord. I will follow where you lead me. In Jesus' name, amen. Forefront, let's make that our prayer. And let's become a people and a church and a community fully surrendered to Jesus. Because ultimately, he's the one that we need.